0: really these big ideas is what any healthy church, not just Discover Church, any healthy church uh, should be focusing on. So loving God, loving people. The second one, transformation. This is why we come to church. If you come to church not looking for transformation, then it can be very difficult to stay in church uh, because it just becomes a battle between your will and God's will. Uh, But God wants to change your heart. A gospel-centered community uh, is critical. And then four and five, so last week and today, is really about what we traditionally call discipleship, or maybe in a more simple sense, spiritual growth. And this is a really, really critical part of being a Christian. Without growing spiritually, following Jesus really has no purpose. It just becomes doing a whole bunch of Christian traditions and rituals and church stuff and prayer stuff and Bible stuff. But the discipleship bit is about growth, and that's what we've been talking about last week and then this week. In order to grow, you first of all have to have a connection to the local church. It's very difficult to grow on your own. You've got to have a connection to someone who can help you grow. Part of preaching and what we do on a Sunday is teaching the Word of God so that you can grow. It's like food for your spirit. And uh, that's what we've been talking about last couple of weeks. And then the next two weeks, I'm really going to talk about the other side of church. So one side is spiritual growth. The other side of the same coin is actually reaching out. Or what we call uh, evangelism, so sharing the good news um, about Jesus Christ. Spiritual growth and reaching, so reaching the unchurched, those who don't know Jesus, discipleship and evangelism, these are the two great people oriented purposes of a local church. So all the stuff, all the ritual, the buildings, all the bits and pieces we do are great, but all of that is scaffolding to support these two critical pieces, which is growing spiritually inside us together, and then sharing with Jesus on the outside so that other people can know about him. And if you weren't here last week, I spoke about this in two different ideas. One was the idea of church, or this weird German word, kirche, which is here on, the, uh, on your right. And then the other side is congregation, or what Jesus said, which is ekklesia, which is a Greek word meaning the people of God. And this changes how you understand church and life in church, or your role in this church will be different based on whether you think this is a building that you come to and an institution you're involved in, so that's the kirke bit, or whether you believe that church, what is the church, what is church about, what's the whole purpose of church, it's not about a building and a system and institution, it's actually about a people, a congregation, friendships, being a spiritual family together. That will dramatically change how you approach coming to church, how you approach being in a small group, how you approach being involved in a team, all of those things will be affected by how you see it. And we spoke about the funny fact that kirke, or the word church, in our English Bibles is actually not a translation, it's not a translation at all of what was originally said. So church should not exist in the Bible, that word should not exist in the Bible. Jesus never said, I will build my church, and he meant that building down the end of the street on the top of the hill with a cross on the top, I'm gonna do stuff there. Jesus never said that. He said, I will build my ecclesia, which means my congregation or my assembly. Except our Bibles have this word church in it because that's the thing that we understand. That's the word that we get that makes more sense to us. And there's actually a guy, William Tyndale, who wrote a Bible in 1522, and he said, I'm not gonna call it church and stick with tradition, I'm going to translate it, the real word, which is really congregation or assembly, or group of people together following Jesus. That's really what Jesus said. That's what ekklesia, the Greek word, actually means. It means a community of people following Jesus. And they strangled him and then burnt his body at the stake for being willing to challenge a couple of words in the Bible and challenge the institution of the church. So there's a very different, two different ways of seeing all of this. Now, if you see the church as a congregation and a group of people moving together, then this becomes something that you're part of. It becomes something you contribute to. It's becomes something that you're involved in. And last week I spoke about four ways that at Discover Church, we encourage people or invite people to get involved in the church. So that's get engaged in a life group, involved in a team, worship team, sound team, kids ministry team, give generously, or we might understand this as tithing 10% of our income and then inviting friends to our homes, to our groups, to our out for coffee, to church, whatever, actually being someone who talks about this. You know, the funny thing is as a pastor, you know, things I see over the years, 15 years of pastoring now, when people are disengaging from God and their relationship with God, these things tend to work in reverse. They stop inviting friends to church, tithing ends, no one's going to give their money to a church where or, where they're not connected anymore. They stop getting involved in the life of the church and they definitely don't want to be connected in a small intimate life group and talk about their life and their relationship with Jesus. I don't say that to scare you if you're not in a group or whatever, I'm not trying to criticise you or correct you, I'm just telling you reality, reality of how these things work. So there's lots of ways you can contribute to a church, be involved in a church, be involved in our church, but all we're saying here is there's just four simple things, four simple things that we invite you, we're not compelling you, forcing you, any of that kind of stuff, but we're inviting you if you want to be contributing you want to be involved, you believe that discipleship and growing with Jesus actually means being involved in a church family, these are four things that we encourage. Why do we encourage these things? Not because we want to get jobs done, not because we want money, not because it would be great for Pastor Caleb if a whole bunch of people were sitting in the seats, that is not our motive at all. The reason we want people engaged in the life of the church is because we want to help people grow spiritually and look like Jesus Christ. If we're not doing that, then we are not a healthy church. We have another motive going on that's not healthy and not good. Our role as a church, my role as a pastor, our job as a community of people together is to encourage one another to follow Jesus and to stick on that journey. Who's had trouble staying the journey following Jesus at one point or two points or three points or 10 points? It's a tough journey. It's a journey that is a challenge, and we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus and be formed over the journey of your life. Because guess what, everyone? Something is forming you. Something is shaping you. Now, if you're sitting here in church, probably most of us here are Christians, we believe that God is forming us and shaping us. And we like the, the image of the potter's hand that it talks about in the Psalms, where the potter's hand comes down and it forms us and it shapes us. It's like God's hands are shaping your heart, your soul, your mind, your marriage, your, your career, that God's hands are on your life and forming you and shaping you. And I hope that that is true. And I know that that is your aim and that is my aim, but sometimes it's not actually God that's shaping us, even if we want it to. You know, everyone is shaped by something. People who believe in God, people who don't believe in God. People who come to church, people who don't come to church. Something is shaping you. Something is shaping your heart. The thing that shapes your heart is an idol. It's a higher power. Every human being, Christian or not, has a higher power, has an idol, has a set of beliefs and values, a set of rules, and that's how you survive life without going and jumping off a cliff. You have some set of rules that you try and stick to that you believe are gonna bring success and winning in life, and these things shape your heart. But even for Christians who say God is their higher power, their idol, it's a battle. Sometimes it is not God who's shaping you, it's something else. Something is shaping your lifestyle Jesus said, come follow me, because he wanted to shape the way that we live as human beings, where we put our money, where we put our time, where we put our energy. He said, if you come to me, I'll give you rest for your soul. If you come to me and follow me, you'll find real life. But it's not always Jesus who's actually discipling our lifestyle. Sometimes it's buying new cars. Sometimes it's getting new jobs. Sometimes it's sex, it's pleasure, it's careerism, it's all kinds of things. There's something that's teaching you. There's something that's your rabbi. There's something that you are living your life for. The challenge of the Christian is that that would be Jesus and that would become more and more rabbi Jesus that we would follow and we'd be his apprentice, not pleasure, not all these other things. Something is feeding your soul. Something is feeding your soul. Is it God? Is it the word of God? Are you nourished in prayer? Or is something else feeding your, is something else soothing your pain? Is something else your secret pursuit? Is is your happiness tied to something else other than the living God? This is the great challenge. Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of Anyone read the Bible? Fishers of men, or fishers of people? Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. This is the Christian journey. The first step is follow. It's a walking journey over a long period of time. It's a long obedience in the one direction. Come follow me. It's Jesus. That's the one that we follow. I will make you. He's going to form you, shape you, mold you, whether you call it spiritual growth, spiritual formation, character formation, discipleship, whatever you want to call it, whatever we've called it in this church or the last church you went to, it's him making you. And the purpose of him making you is to fish for men because God makes you so that you can be fruitful. Making you isn't so that the outcome is that you become something to be worshiped. You become the ideal Christian that everyone can sit back and look at. No, the purpose of making you is so that you can go and fish for other people, so that discipleship turns into evangelism, that your spiritual formation journey actually overflows and has a positive impact on somebody else. You might be wondering why I've got all these props here. This is my first prop, okay? Okay. Spiritual formation happens in stages. This is what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to give you a lot of information, so I apologize in advance. Everyone say, I forgive you, Pastor Caleb. Okay, great. Four of you said that. All right, the rest of you can do what you want with it. I'm going to give you a lot of information, but I want you to journey with me over the next 20 minutes as we look at spiritual formation throughout the lifespan. Because this could save your life, understanding. where you are in your journey, understanding where you are in your stage of discipleship to Jesus and following him. The more in reality you are with where you are in your relationship with Jesus, the more you will be able to grow. The more you tell yourself a nice little white lie of where you think you are, the less in reality you are, the less that you are gonna be able to grow. Paul says to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, he says to to this congregation, this group of people, he says, this will continue until all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Everyone say mature. mature. It's a nice sounding word, isn't it? It sounds like peaceful, good, let's try and get there. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. If you're following Jesus, then that's the standard. Not money, not wage, not career, not whatever. That's the standard that we're aiming at. Verse 14, you will no longer be immature, or the NIV says, you'll no longer be infants. We won't be blown, here, tossed to and fro by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Or If you want a modern version of this, just insert the internet there okay? (laughs) The internet won't trick you into thinking that I should live like this, I should prioritise this, I should value this. No, the mature are able to stay focused on Jesus Christ despite the internet. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more to be like Christ who is head of the body, the church. See, Paul's talking to this congregation, this group of people in Ephesus and saying, this is how you grow up. Who wants to grow up who wants to mature? Who wants to move on in their faith? Who wants to go from a child to an adolescent to a mature adult in their faith? Now, it sounds very linear, and my picture I've got for you today sounds very linear, looks very linear, but it's not. The Christian journey is more like that. It's more like a hopefully an upward spiral of lots and ups and downs, hence the squiggly line there, okay, to try and represent that a little bit. Hebrews 5 verse 11, this is the milk bit here to make sense of that. There is much more I'd like to say to you, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers for so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature. Everyone say mature. Sounds fantastic saying that. It'd be nice to be that. Who through training have the skill to recognise the difference between right and wrong? So here the context is about growing up. The spiritual life requires growing up. We always start with spiritual milk. We start the journey as an infant. In 1 Corinthians 3, uh, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, Like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. This is cold, Pastor Andrew, cold milk. Would you be able to try it? Tell us if it's good. Crave spiritual milk. Is all wrong? Great. That was breast milk, by the way. It's sweet. Sweet. No, it's not really. It's not really. So I know I'm not very good at jokes. Some people are never sure whether to take me seriously or not. The early Christian life is so fantastic, isn't it? It's sweet beautiful milk. You suckle at the breast of God and your local church. Everything works. You're full of love and passion for God. You want to serve in every ministry. You want to get involved in everything. God is your provider and everything works. Everything you touch turns to gold. Every time you pray, you get answered. It's an amazing, amazing time in your early faith journey. For some of you, that might have been coming out of the teenage years and becoming a mature, uh, or becoming an adult, becoming an 18 year old, and then you really start to follow Jesus for yourself, separate from your parents if you grow up into church. For some of you, you may have found Jesus as a teenager or as a young adult. Some of you might have found Jesus at 45. It doesn't matter how old you are, the spiritual journey starts with spiritual milk, and we drink and we drink and we get fat. And we grow fast in those early years, don't we? You know, when it's Nova's bedtime, she's nearly two years old, we just get a bottle of milk like this, and we do this in front of her. And we like lure her into her room and she runs like this. Ha, 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 ha. And that's a great picture of the early years of following Jesus. It's just exciting, it's fun, it feels good. We drink milk, we get spiritually fat. We have all these mentors, we have people that want to talk into our life, we we sit in church and every sermon is just transformative. We come out on the prayer line every week because we believe that God is going to move in our hearts and we believe that we can change and we believe that we can grow. Our faith in Jesus is at a sky high. We pray, we read the Bible, we can't get enough food, we just crave spiritual milk. We want to be nourished in our heart, we want to mature. Now, see the funny word there, purgation? So this is from St. John of the Cross, okay? About 500 years ago, St. John of the Cross, a very influential Spanish Carmelite monk, best friends with uh, St. Teresa of Alvia. She was an older woman in her 50s when he was a young man, about 25, and they developed a lot of incredible um, content. They reformed the Carmelite a monastic tradition and gave us a lot of our mystical, uh, contemplative, meditative side of prayer and Christianity. And he's the one that talks about the dark night of the soul, which we'll get into in a minute. But he talked about spiritual growth in three stages. So purgation, illumination, union. And this is the incredible part at the start of our spiritual journey is this purgation. So we get purged. Think of the word purgatory, we get purged, we get cleaned. And a lot of what happens in this early milk phase of our walk with Jesus is we deal with a lot of the outer stuff. Like you think of a young adult, you know, growing up in the church, you know, dealing with that early, you're dealing with a lot of like sexual temptation, physical, you want pleasure, but Jesus is trying to lead you on the narrow path. You're dealing with, oh, I can make money. Oh, I could get a career. And, but, but all these pleasurable out of things that would feel nice, but God starts to purge you of these things. People come into Christianity in their 20s or 30s and all the big sins get dealt with and you hear the stories, I was a drug addict and I was a this and I was that and I was a criminal and I'd done all these things, but then God got hold of my heart and he purges you of the big sins, the big stuff and we, and we grow fast, we get involved in our church fast. We do a lot, the doing there. God is our provider and we're so thankful that we've finally met Jesus that we just want to do heaps of stuff for God but then we hit our first mountain. So there's two mountains I want to talk to you about in the spiritual formation journey. You've got the first mountain and this is very clever. Then you've got the second mountain. The red line there It's kind of like the first half of life and the second half of life, although I don't want you to get caught on, I'm this age, I'm at this spot in my journey, okay? Because the spiritual journey is very different. When I say child, teenager, adult, I don't mean literally, I mean in your faith. Because I'm very sad to say that in our Western church, we have mostly spiritual children in the church we even have spiritual children that are pastors spiritual children that are elders spiritual children that are leaders we have spiritual leaders that have huge global followings and internet followings and mega churches who fall over in a moment because they have no character because we have spiritual children with charisma and gifting that have been given great positions and great money and great funding this is why the spiritual formation journey is so important And the first mountain is critical because the first mountain is the mountain of detachment. St. John of the Cross called it the dark night of the senses. So you may have heard of that word, the dark night or the dark night of the soul, but he actually calls his first mountain the dark night of the senses because you know what happens? All of the senses disappear. Has anyone noticed this in your Christian walk? If you're not at this point yet, good on you. I am so happy for you because it's awesome at the start spiritual milk suckling on the breast of God, on the breast of your local church, just there living the dream. But then you hit this mountain and God just begins to detach you from your senses. All of a sudden, you don't feel the presence of God like you used to. All of a sudden, you stand in worship and you're thinking in your head, I should be worshiping God with all my heart. But I'm like, oh, when is this over? You go to pray, but it's like your prayers just hit this ceiling. And it's not like a high ceiling. It's like this tiny little ceiling. You feel in this little box. You're like, why do I even pray? What's the point in prayer? And then you look back at your early years following Jesus. You're like, I used to pray like a prayer warrior. I thought I had a gift of intercession. But you realize you're just a passionate early Christian. And now God is actually trying to detach you from all the feelings. You come to church and you're like, it just doesn't have the vibe it used to have. It just doesn't. You know, my friends have disappeared. And as I said to you last week, you get the, common, the most common thing I ever get as a pastor. Like, there's the most common thing, then there's the second thing I get as a pastor. It's so far ahead. I don't feel like I belong anymore. What? what is under that? What is under that? It's the first mountain. God is actually detaching you from the need to feel good, feel God, feel His presence, have friends. Oh, my leader fell over. Oh, that mentor. I had 74 mentors when I first became a Christian. They've all got backslidden and divorced and whatever. You are in an amazing, amazing position because God is bringing you into His refining fire where He's going to take you from this baby milk and He begins to put you on solid food. You can start to chew a little bit. It's only a banana. We're not at at the meat point yet, okay? We've got a steak up here, which eventually we'll be able to spiritually nourish us. We can't really handle the steak yet, but we're on a banana. Now, the first half of life, if we can go back to the diagram, it's a lot of acquiring. If you're in your 40s, you've probably noticed this. My 20s, my 30s hit 40. I'm 40 on Tuesday, okay? So I've got about three days left of my 30s. <gasps> I've been doing a lot of crying this week, but it's okay. I'm gonna be able to get through. But you hit this first mountain, and all of a sudden you realize that I've just gotta start letting things go. The first half of your life, so before that red dot, 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 there's a lot of getting. You get a wife, you get a job, you get some money, you acquire a house, you get a position at church you get some revelations, you get some good friends, you get, 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 get. But what you're gonna find out later in the spiritual journey or maybe in the second half of life is that it's all actually about letting go. It's actually about everything you've acquired, learning to give it to somebody else and actually learning to give it away. And the first mountain starts to give us a little bit of a sense of this. The solid food that we begin to eat Is completely different from the milk. Now that we're going through the first mountain and coming to the other side, the solids are different, and God is trying to grow us into a spiritual teenager. And what was once prayer lines and powerful encounters with God and phenomenal revelations when we pray and sit down with a mentor, have a coffee, and get just changed and feel amazing, full of love, God's my provider, all of a sudden everything becomes very private. God takes you now off of the public kind of big Holy Ghost encounters. And he wants to meet you in your prayer closet where there's no one else. He wants to teach you actually how to pray. He wants to show you how to actually study the word. And this is why St. John of the Cross calls this illumination. Because our eyes actually, if we can get there, our eyes actually begin to open. All of a sudden we realize that God is provider and church is awesome and being a Christian is fantastic all the stuff and, and it's like it's fantastic. But then we start to realize, gosh, God is so much bigger than my church. <laughs> wow, God is way bigger than my little life. I thought I had some gifts and whoa, and this is he starts to put us on solid food. We start to chew. Now, most of us will stay in this middle section on solids here for a big chunk of our life. Our 30s, our 40s, our 50s, our 60s, maybe. If you even get there, most people can't even get through the first mountain because the minute the feelings disappear, our faith goes. The minute I don't have a friend at church anymore, I know I don't ever go to church anymore. The minute we get a little bit hurt by a church or hurt by a mentor, or the, the feelings of the presence of God, the cool vibe of the church we used to have are gone. We just, can't, lots of people can't get through the mountain. Once the senses go, the feelings of pleasure. We don't even know if God's real anymore. We turn into an atheist all of a sudden. The pain doesn't bring refining. The pain actually brings rejection and we walk away. It's a challenging time. Every newborn mother basically goes through this. The first time she has a baby, those first six months, she goes from an atheist to a Christian, to an atheist to a Christian, and she's up at 3 a.m. in the morning trying to feed this child, going through the pain of what it is to be a mother, having all of her joy stripped away of her life before, and we waver. Oh, I don't even know if I'm gonna follow God anymore. It feels difficult. But when we come into this solid stage, it's about chewing. We begin to wrestle with God. If you've ever heard of the story of Jacob that wrestles with God in Genesis 32 in a place called the Jabbok, and he wrestles with God. And this is really the discipleship journey. This will go on for decades. You kind of get born again, again. Jesus is actually illuminated, who he really is. He's not just the candy dispenser that we thought he is. We realize there's a depth, and God invites you to come into a deep, deep place of prayer and learning and growth and maturity and what we find in this stage is the doing drops off you just did all of this stuff because you had passion and zeal and you actually start to lead you lead your home and your family you begin to lead in the workplace not out of positions i'm not talking when i say leadership i don't mean have a title i mean just lead as a human being all christians are called to be leaders because Jesus is a leader. The Holy Spirit will lead us. We have the opportunity to lead and to influence, whether it's in our home, our marriage, our friendships. Maybe you do have a title at work. Maybe you do have some responsibility in the church. We don't care if we've got the title anymore. We just start to get a depth in our relationship with God that we want to help somebody else. We actually want to serve somebody else. We have actually come to a place of maturity and be detached from so much of the worldly pursuits and the pursuits of pleasure and all these feelings that now we're actually in a position to actually grow and lead and give over to others where the path is illuminated before us and there's deep inner growth. We learn to slow down to be with Jesus and we're actually able to lead and give something back, which then brings us to the second mountain, this, this two mountain theory, you can read about it and it can be the first half of life, the second half of life, or maybe it's the first half of the spiritual journey, the second half of the spiritual journey. And what the second mountain does is it really deals with the older brother in us. If you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son, you can read about that in Luke 15, it starts at verse 10. The first son, he goes off, that's the first mountain, he goes off and he chases the parties and the pleasure and he spends all dad's money. It's the young man, it's the immature Christian trying to find their way in the world and they kind of screw it up and have to come back and get everything right. A lot of people get through that and grow through that, but then we hit this second mountain and it's a different brother. Now it's not the younger brother chasing parties and chasing girls or guys or relationships or feelings or money or whatever. Now God has to deal with the older brother in us. Have you ever seen this before? I know none of you are like this, but it's the grumpy Christian. It's the grumpy prophetic person who's super grumpy all the time, because they know so much about God. It's the grumpy theologian who study the word and I know, is this, this Bible-based? But it all comes out of this grumpiness. I have been around for so long and I've journeyed through, and people have come and gone, but I have stayed in this church. but you're grumpy, (laughs) you're difficult, you're prickly. There's not the virtues of Christ coming out of you. Patience, love, mercy, empathy, sacrifice. And God deals with the older brother in us. And the question in the back of our head that has to be dealt with, the rule in the back of our head is, I have done so much for God, I have journeyed through for so long Where's my ring? Where's my robe? Where's my feast? Where's my payoff? And we hit the second mountain. And the second mountain is the mountain of humility. We're on the wrong mountain there, let's jump forward. Second mountain is humility. And we come into another dark night if we allow God. Remember, I'm saying all of this assuming you want to grow. If you don't wanna grow, none of this will happen. Because God isn't going to come kick the door of your house in. But if you want to grow and mature and you want to come to a place of peace, a place of strength, a place where your life makes sense, a place of purpose, actually having meaning in this world, this is some of the journey squashed into a 35-minute sermon that you might experience over the 60, 70 years of being a Christian, This is what St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the spirit. So we've got the dark night of the senses, the dark night of the spirit. So it's a dark, dark night where all guarantees are stripped away. God pushes you so deep. I mean, you dealt with shallowness in the first mountain, but now he takes you deeper and deeper and deeper. And all guarantees... Sometimes on the second mountain, we ask, is there really a God? I really don't know. Will I really go to heaven? I really don't know. All guarantees are stripped away. By this time in your life, you may have had children that have grown up and become, some of them have done great. Some of them are disappointing. You might have lost a child. You might have gone through a church split. You may have been brutally betrayed in your place of work. Like You've got some battle scars now and God just grinds you that little bit more so that you can just become humble so that you can truly have your faith and your trust in God and God alone with absolutely no guarantees in this side of heaven. That God would be the only thing that you are concerned with and that the things of this world become so distant to you because God is preparing you for the next stage of the journey to bring you into spiritual adulthood where you can actually take on meat. Now, a lot of our discipleship, if you've been in the church for a while, is very focused on this first half of life. You know, we're quite obsessed in our society with youth, the fountain of youth, young people staying young, Botox to look young still. But this second half of life and this second mountain is so powerful. God deals with the, the judgy judge in you, God brings you to a place of humility. And the question we begin to ask ourselves, now I'm not there yet, so I'm just hypothesizing here based on what I've read and studied and prayed about, but the questions we need to ask ourselves is, what legacy will I leave behind? What has God done in my heart over being a Christian? Maybe you're in your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, what can I give to the next generation? This is the time now where you begin to let go, but this is very difficult Often the older brother can't let go, can't give away. Now, all the things you've acquired, your money, your wealth, your experience throughout a lifetime of following Jesus, now God is saying, in humility, give it away. This is what the mature, those that have gone on and can eat meat, this is the ability of those that have grown to be mature in their faith. They can now lay down their life. Just like Jesus laid down his life on the cross, they can lay down their life. They can give away what they've got because they come into a place of spiritual adulthood. God is not just a provider anymore. God isn't just a friend anymore that we pray together, and we get deep with. Now God becomes like a lover. There's a deep, deep union. What St. John of the Cross calls a union where we become one with Christ, where we abide with Christ, where our whole life is full of his love, we are transformed into love, and then we are able to love unconditionally. I know we talk a lot about unconditional love, and we'd all like to think that we love unconditionally, but let's be honest there's a lot of strings attached. And once you've been married for 10 or 15 years, you realise, man, there's a lot of strings attached still in this marriage. (laughs) There's a lot of things I think she should be doing for me, and he should be doing for me, and those kids should be doing for me, and the journey to actually be transformed into the love of God can take decades and decades and decades if we allow him to work in our heart. The beautiful thing here is we're not doing anymore, we're not just a leader and influencing some people now, we've actually become like a spiritual parent. People are are, are nourished because of our walk with God. We're able to lay our lives down like a parent, like that mum with the newborn baby. You can spiritually just give yourself to a person, to a mentee, to a ministry in the church, to, to, to a charity. You, you can live your life for, totally for somebody else because you're so secure and so abiding with Christ and have come to that place of union with Jesus. You don't need accolades. You don't need to be given money. You don't need to be given a microphone. You've been transformed into love, just like God is love, and you're able to just give out of sacrifice. You're able to sow into others, just like a parent. And what Jesus said of John in John 21, what Jesus said to Peter becomes true. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. This is John 21:18. You dressed yourself up and went wherever you wanted to go. That's the milk. That's the solids, that's the early part of life. But then Jesus looks at Peter and says, but when you are old, whether this is old in age or old spiritually mature, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. The great challenge of following Jesus is, is to move from milk, it feels good, it feels nice, God is doing stuff for me, to solids where we wrestle with God and we choose through our faith and what do I really believe and why do I go to church and how do I pray and what's it really about and move on to a place of meat and maturity that our following of Jesus is such that wherever Jesus wants to lead us, even if it's where we don't really wanna go, doesn't really feel nice. It's going to cost me time and money. Oh, I don't really like that person. But because we've so matured in our faith, we can give, not out of our strength, but we can give out of God's love that has so filled our heart. We can lay our life down, even though we might say like Jesus did, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We we may feel like there's just no guarantees in this spiritual journey anymore, but For the joy set before me, I'll endure whatever God has called me to. You can't get to that place through discipline, through personal strength, through theology, through knowing stuff, through titles in the church, through money, through having a great career out there. You can only get through this stuff by building a relationship with Jesus and wanting to grow and grow spiritually. And what happens ideally is that we get to this place where we are so dead to the things of the world We're so dead to the needs of what we need that it begins to make sense, doesn't it? As we end our life, we just cross over from earth into heaven where we are fully in heaven purged of all attachments. We are fully grown up. We have fully let go of everything in this earth as we cross into heaven. You think of a seven-year-old, an 80-year-old, if you've ever met someone like this, Who's just been following Jesus for 60 years, you know, they've had all the kids, they've been through all the pain, they've let go of so many things, they've got all the scars of life and church and work and friendships, but they just have this beautiful, genuine heart for God, you could just ask them anything and they would just give of themselves to you. They're not trying to get anything out of church or Christianity or the Bible, they're just willing to give back. And that's that place of maturity. It is possible to get there. What I'm saying today is not to say there's some ridiculously high bar. There is, it is possible to get there and to grow there as you let God take over your heart. And even if you got halfway there, even if you got a quarter of the way there, you are still going to be an amazing follower of Jesus. You are still going to be somebody that does great things for God. God is not here to condemn you. God is not here to embarrass you. God is not here to say, you should have done this or you should do that. And I'm not here to say that either, just to give you a bit of an outline here. In a moment, we're gonna sing a song and finish. I just wanna give you some time with God. But my one encouragement for you from here is this. Name your stage of spiritual formation. This is gonna like the easiest sermon ever To actually carry on into the week with. I hope that you would always listen on a Sunday and then take what we give you and go and pray about it, think about it, dwell on it. This is as, as easy as you'll ever get. Look back at this little diagram, reflect on the sermon and name your stage of spiritual formation. Where are you at? What point are you at? Pray for insight and guidance to spend some time with God. Review the stages that we spoke about. Look at the diagram and then name it. Name your season and it's fine. Some of you might feel like you're really on one of those mountains and it feels dry, it feels desert-like, it feels like you feel a million miles away from God. Maybe that's where you're at. You know, when you go to your GP and you've got a problem, what you want is a diagnosis because a diagnosis leads to healing But so often in our spiritual life, we don't like to diagnose, we don't like to name, we don't like to say, we don't like to be specific, because it feels nicer to say, I'm a great Christian and I do these fantastic things and God is amazing and I'm full of faith. But if those things are said to obscure where you're really at in your walk with God, then you'll never be healed, you'll never be able to grow, you'll never be able to move beyond any sickness in your heart or in your soul. Name your stage, and then number four, just clarify your next step. God isn't saying, do the hundred steps that Caleb alluded to on Sunday. God's just saying, what's the next step? That's it. That's actually how simple following Jesus is. We can talk about all this stuff, but really, Jesus is just saying to you, the Holy Ghost is just saying to you, what's your next step? Just take one step. If you could take one step, what's that next step? What do you need to do? What do you need to deal with? What do you need to engage with? What do you need to grow in?